the Birch Bark House, Chapter 7, is called The Move. Dede left on his voyage, and the rest of the family worked hard to prepare as much food as possible for the winter. For days, the girls dried and then parched the corn that they had saved from the hungry birds. Around and around, they stirred the corn in an iron kettle over a low fire. Nokomis went over to Talo's place and pounded some of the corn to meal with the hollowed log and great round stick that Talo kept in her yard. While Nokomis worked on the corn, Talo gutted fish and dried them on a big scaffold that she set up over a special fire. She would feed day and night with cedar wood to give the fish a special flavor. The charcoal from the cedar she would keep to mix in with pine pitch. Mixed together, the stuff made caulking for the seams of their canoes. At the winter cabin, Dede had built a rough lean-to and attached it alongside the northern wall. Inside the log lean-to, he had dug out a deep round hole. Angeline and Mama spent one morning lining the earth of the hole with birch bark. They, had, they made a tight bark container, like a big makuk, and lined the container with bunches of dried grass. Then they took more curved pieces of birch bark and set them in the interior. This was their food cache. Within the cache, Mama first placed several packs of dried smoked fish and venison, all tied carefully together in two layers of bark. When those packs were set neatly down on the bottom, she told Omakayas to fetch the parched corn, which she had stored in neat skin bags. There were several makuks of wild rice from the fall's gathering, though the harvest had been so poor. Mama had used the intestines of the moose to store the pounded meat and dried berries so they would have they would ha so they would have on feast days as a treat. She set those very carefully to one side, surrounded by sheaves of bark. Deep, deep in the food cache, unseen to anyone but Omakayas, Mama set eight birch bark cones of maple sugar. These, Omakayas knew, were for the hardest times in winter when they would need sweetness to survive in spirit, as well as food to keep them strong. When all was finished, Nokomis came to bless the cash. In the deep light of the fading afternoon, Grandma raised her arms the way she did at sunrise near the water. Everything grew very quiet around her. Even Pinch stopped shuffling his feet and rubbing his nose. Outside, the birds hushed. The sky bent to listen. The wind died down. Golden leaves hung balanced in the air. It was as though, Amakayas thought, all of creation was interested in Nokomis's words. Even her own heart beat quieter, and that excited, jumpy feeling in her calmed. Whenever Grandma prayed, she made the world around her feel protected, safe, eternal. Nokomis bent over and looked very carefully at the cache to make certain that it was properly packed. Anisha, she breathed quietly, standing again, holding in her palm a tiny mound of tobacco. She looked down at the tobacco, touched it lovingly, and asked the spirits for protection against the cold. She spoke to the creator. We are very small, she said, just human. Help us to live this winter through. Come to us, especially during the harshest moon, the crust on the snow moon. When so often meat is scarce, 
When the ice is too thick to catch many fish, when disease breaks us and the windigo spirit, the hungry one, comes stalking from house to Anashabe house, oh, daga, we do kayao, Anashanabe, we do kayao, Anashanabe, she asked. Her voice was soft, but deep and troubled. Stillness swirled about the little cabin when she finished. It was as though everyone's heart were touched a little by the coming cold, as though a shadow of the windigo swept across their minds. Amakaya shivered. Angeline touched her shoulder. Mama stroked Pinch's rough, hay-like stack of hair. Baby Niwo was the first to make a sound, and that sound was a sudden cry. They spent that last night in the birch bark house, chilled in their robes and blankets. Already, Omakaias missed summer. When morning came, Mama hardly had the fire going before they all began to pack. Mama stirred the soup in the kettle, heated it through, and brought some to Nokomis in the tin bowl with the trader's spoon. Nokomis drank it all up, stretched her arms, hopped to her feet with a young girl's agility. She rubbed her hands. She loved moving, packing, changing locations. Before the sun even popped its rays through the lowest brush, she was carefully rolling up the rush mats she had woven. From the inside walls of the house, she lifted down her careful bundles of roots, her bags of berries and dried crumpled leaves, and long curls of inner bark of certain trees. For the first time, Omakayas noticed all of these little bundles, how cleverly they were tied, how interesting each one smelled, their, cl- their colors, their odd, shriveled shapes. She helped Nokomis take the bundles down, put them carefully in her net to carry. I'll take them, she said, her arms full. We'll go together, said Nokomis, watching with interest as Omakayas touched a particular root, sniffed a tiny packet, and sneezed. Ruff rubbed a powder with her finger. Are they talking to you? Nokomis asked, curious, as they walked along the trail soon after. Do you hear their voices? No, said Omakias, startled. I don't hear anything. After a while, as they walked the trail, as the machine, the sorry, as the medicines grew heavy, she thought to ask, Nokomis, do they talk to you? She nodded. Yes, sometimes they tell me things, but of course, I have learned how to listen. What do they tell you? How to use them when someone is sick, where to find them, how to prepare them, just the right strength. I wondered if they had picked you to talk to, my granddaughter. I've been watching how quiet you are sometimes. Your mama told me about the bear cubs in the woods. Oh, they talk to me, Nokomis said, laughing a little in the memory of their peculiar, sleepy, stubborn looks at their mother, so like Pinch when he didn't want to go to bed. Listen to them. Nokomis stopped in the path. Holding her bundles in her arms, she gazed at Omakayas until, understanding the gravity of Nokomis's nature, Omakayas stood still. Holding the medicines and looking curiously at her grandmother, she waited. Listen to them. Was all Nokomis said, touching Omakayas's face. She spoke so earnestly, with such emotion in her voice, that Omakayas was always to remember that moment. The bend in the path where they stood with the medicines. 
her grandmother's kind face, and the words she spoke. By the end of the day, the cabin was once again their home. Niwo slept in his winter bed, a blanket fixed on the ropes so that he could gently rock to sleep. Mama had a fire going in the fire pit, a small hearth that Dede had made for them of the smoothest, thickest, heaviest stones. Amakas was always glad to see that hearth once the fire was lighted, for she spent many cold winter nights huddled near in blankets, listening to Grandma and gazing so long at the patterns in the lake rocks that she saw things, faces, animals, and had come to know them as familiar. That night in their cabin, it was at first too warm to cuddle in a blanket, so she sat on the mat on the earth floor and watched the flames throw shadows leaping across the stones. There, a long-legged racing dog, a face of an old woman, a raccoon's face, a frog, Omaka as his namesake. She greeted them drowsily, old friends, and fell asleep next against her grandma. Halfway through the night, Omakaas woke, freezing. She patted around the floor until she found her blanket. Then she snuggled quickly in, for the cold had crept with iron stealth- stealthiness into the cabin. Dark air stabbed at them from all along the edges of the sleeping mats. It seized at their shoulders, their feet, even their hair on top of Omakaias's head, and the tip of her nose. She buried her face in the fur of her blanket, nestled close against Nokomis's back, and as she fell asleep, it seemed to her that there was something odd in the ferocity of the cold that continued to deepen as the night went on. She never quite warmed, kept shifting as cold drafts seized a foot or iced her knees. All night, she woke, slept, woke again, and it took until the darkness lightened before she felt warm enough to drop into a heavy dream.